Hey, good morning, People's Church. How are you? Anybody in love with Jesus today? Hey, awesome. So glad to see you. Welcome to those of you that are visiting here with us today. So glad you came uh, just to check out what God is doing here at People's Church. And we hope that you feel right at home, that you feel loved and welcome. And uh, for everybody here, I believe that the Lord has a word for you today that is not by chance that you are here, but God brought you here because he wants to do something in your life. So why don't you just turn and tell your neighbor right now, get ready, God has something for you. Go ahead, tell him that. Say, get ready, God has something for you. Pastor Herbert has been preaching in this series on storms, and man, this has been so powerful. Anybody else been blessed by this series? You're just enjoying it? Uh, I know that I've personally been impacted by it, and then just even talking with people between services on different Sundays and, and hearing specifically how God has been using it just to strengthen them, to help them, to encourage them. This has been a powerful series. And so we continue that today with uh, this sermon series, Storms, specifically how to handle financial storms. We all handle different storms different ways, right? Uh, I know that there are some people who are storm chasers, just pray for those people. I don't even know what to say. I mean, somebody who's like, there it is, let's go there. I don't even get that. All right, and then there are others who, uh, hey, they respect it, but I'm not going to lie to you. I enjoy a good hard rain. I like a little rolling thunder. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, hey, that sounds good, and nap time. You know, that, I, I, I can handle that. My kids don't like thunderstorms. My wife, Casey, uh, abhors, like, stormy weather, and uh, she would lean a bit more towards the cautious side of things, so uh, it doesn't take much for her to want to rally the entire family to the designated storm closet, you know, in our house, and so she's like, everybody in the closet, and I'm like, what's going on? She said, well, the weatherman said there's a chance of rain tomorrow, so let's go ahead and let's get in, and she's got flashlights, granola bars, Bottles of water, you know, just in case we're stuck there for, you know, seven, eight, nine years. She's got it all in there just to be safe. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little less cautious. I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, there are different storms that really cause us to respond in, in different ways. And uh, I want us to look at this storm in the Bible. Just to remind us as we jump into this topic on how to forecast financial storms. I want us to look at this story in the Bible, really one of the most popular storms, if you will, is recorded in multiple gospels, meaning same story told several different times in the New Testament. And uh, it's a story of where Jesus and his disciples were going to cross the Sea of Galilee. And so I just want us to take a look at this here together. Let's jump into Matthew chapter 8. We'll begin reading with, with verse 23. If you're ready, say, uh-huh. And if you mean it, say, oh, yeah. Look at it, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Then it says, then he being Jesus, then Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. They got into the boat to cross the Sea of Galilee, which is really, it sounds bigger than it is. It's more of a, a lake, and uh, it's, it's about uh, 13 miles long, but about 8 miles wide, at its widest point. 
And so this is something that they're very used to, they're very familiar with, not even some major expedition. Uh, we're just talking about the lakes. As a matter of fact, I had a chance when I went to Israel to uh, be in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and the, the host, who was kind of the tour guide, said this was probably the type of boat, the approximate size of the boat that Jesus and his disciples were in when they were crossing the sea. And, and I was just thinking, man, that's crazy just to be out here in the water like this, and this is the place where it happened. And, and to look up and see just the topography of the land and to see nearby Mount Hermon and to know of the sea level of just the, the Sea of Galilee and, and all of that. When you're looking at that, the tour guide explained to us that this place was really, the way it was positioned, the, the, the topography surrounded it, created this perfect bowl, if you will, for storms. So he said it wasn't uncommon for there to be a storm. And so uh, he told us just referencing Matthew chapter 8 and then turned it over to me. And I got a chance to preach about being on that water and when Jesus was there and all of the storm came and, and how Jesus commanded with his authority, the winds and the waves. It was really, really a powerful moment. But when you read this story here, it says that the disciples were with him in the boat. And verse 24 says, suddenly, everybody say Suddenly. Suddenly, a furious storm. What kind of a storm? A furious storm. You say, well, what is a furious storm? Any storm that I'm in is a furious storm. You've heard the difference in major surgery, minor surgery, right? If you're going through it, it's minor surgery. If I'm going through it, it's major surgery, right? That's the way it is with storms. We tend to look at other people's storms as like, hey, relax, bro. Take a deep breath. Count to 10. Do it again. It's okay. You're going to be all right. It's not that major of a deal. But if I'm going through it, it's like the sky is falling. And, and you see here it says in verse 24 that this storm was for real, not just because they thought it was, but Scripture says it was indeed a furious storm. Suddenly, out of nowhere, unexpectedly, you're like, wait a minute, I thought that this was a place that they were used to storms. You just described the whole, yeah, that's true, but scripture is teaching us here that this is indicating to us this was not just a normal storm. Have you discovered in life that all storms are not created equally? You look back at some storms and you just thought, man, this is the worst storm ever. And then a few months later, you're like, nope, record breaker. This one right here, this is the worst storm ever. You ever had something like that happen? It's where they seem to get worse and at times more severe than others that you've been a part of in the past. And certainly for these guys in the boat, this was not new that there would be some type of weather surrounding where they were. But they were used to a little bit of rain or a little bit of a storm. But this has suddenly, unexpectedly, without notice, this severe or furious. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke... All three of these writers describing this scene, they kind of described it in, in just uh, slightly different ways. Some require, uh, 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 explaining it or describing it as like an earthquake of shaking. So the winds and the waves were so strong and they were so powerful as if the earth was shaking and creating the severity of the storm. You look in another place and it's described as a Tornadic or tornado-like storm. The winds were so severe, it was as if they were in the middle of a tornado. 
So it says, suddenly this furious, earth-shaking, wind-slapping storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Waves that were probably 8 to 10 feet high. That's pretty intense. They're in the boat. They're trying to make this short distance just from the west side to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. This storm out of nowhere springs up, starts coming with tornadic earthquake-type force. And now the waves are crashing over them to the point, to the degree, to where experienced sailors thought, we're going to die. Now, it's one thing if I were to say, hey, my wife Casey that I just described on the cautious side, she was in a boat, she thought she was going to die. That, that would be like, well, bless her heart, but it's probably going to be okay, everything's going to be all right. But it's another thing when you've got a group of grown men who are professional sailors, because for one, guys are prideful anyway, Right? Fellas are too proud to admit it, but the ladies should have said amen right there. But the guys are prideful, meaning we don't like to acknowledge weakness. We don't like to acknowledge that something scares us. We don't like to acknowledge that we're afraid of something. We don't want to acknowledge that we're not strong enough for something, especially when you're talking about a man's man, like a sailor, you know, somebody who's just salty, gritty, you know, out on that, oh, a little storm, I've been through worse than this before, we'll make it. So you know when you got all those guys going, we're going to die. Bad news. That's where these guys were. Fearing for their lives. So this is a storm of all storms. And yet it says in verse 24, look at it. But Jesus was what? What does it say? Sleeping. How many of you, when you read the Bible, there are times that you're reading and you're going, okay, that part right there. That doesn't make a lick of sense. How many of you guys have ever read your Bible before like that and you're reading, there was a storm so severe, earthquake, volcano erupting, tsunami, uh, hurricane force, tornado. They thought they were going to die. But Jesus was taking a nap. <laughs> I mean, doesn't that cause you just to pause just a little bit and go, hmm. Because like with Casey, when she hears something like that, you know, the, 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 the weather, she'll get up and she'll, she'll check the news. And the guys are on there, okay, there's a, uh, there's a tornado, you know, and it's 80 miles or whatever. She'll go and she'll get all the kids that are loaded up in the closet. She'll come and she shakes me and waves her, Scotty, Scotty, get up, get up. I'm like, what is it? What's going on? Tornado, it's coming straight for our house. They can see it on the radar. It's coming towards us. And when she does that, she says it, and then she takes off going to the closet. And you know what I say? Give me five more minutes. You know, and I'll lie back down. And I'm not even joking. And I'm not saying that because I'm tough. I'm just sleepy, okay? And so I would sleep through the sirens. I really would. And yet this is not Jesus going, dude, I'm so with you, man. When I'm out, I'm out, man. I didn't even hear the winds and the waves. That's not what Jesus is doing here. It's not that the winds and the waves were crashing over the boat, but Jesus just had such a gift of sleep that it didn't bother him at all. You know what this is? This is a picture, not of his ability to sleep, but it's a picture of his divinity. It's a picture of his power. It's an example of the depth of his peace. Here's what it teaches us. No matter what kind of shaking, quaking, earth-moving, life-threatening storm you may find yourself in. 
Jesus is not intimidated. Isn't it comforting to know that when it's over your head, it's still under his feet? Isn't it encouraging to know that when the winds and the waves and the earth is shaking, that you can remember that he's got the whole world in his hands? When it feels like we're coming unglued, we're reminded that he's holding it all together. Isn't that encouraging? So it says that Jesus was sleeping. And the disciples went to him, verse 25, and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Which is interesting. I don't want to dog on the disciples too much because sometimes, especially for us preachers, you know, we know the whole story. We're like, I'm going to drown. <laughs> it ends fine. You know, we can say that because we're not in the boat. You know how you read a story and you're like, come on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It turns into a party. Everything's okay. Just relax. It's all right, David. It's all right. You're going to be a giant killer. But they were on the front end of the story. So they run to Jesus and they wake him up saying, Lord, we're going to drown. But part of the reason why I have to say that's funny to me is telling God that God is about to drown. <laughs> Jesus, wake up. Jesus, we're about to drown. As if Jesus would wake up and go say, thank you so, I was in such a deep sleep. I didn't realize that the winds and waves that I created were about to get the best of me. I didn't even notice it or see it coming. Thank you. They went and they run and they wake him up and say, Jesus, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Again, on the surface, hard for me to grasp. Tough guys in a tough spot. Eight to ten foot waves crashing over the boat. The boat's taking on water. It was happening at night, so they're surrounded by darkness being blown to and fro. If they say they're about to die and they're admitting that, it's because they're probably pretty close to dying. And they wake Jesus up and Jesus says, why are you so afraid? I'd be like, well, other than the fact that I'm about to die, I can't think of any real reason <laughs> to be afraid. That's the only one that comes to my mind. He's not saying to them, why are you afraid of the storm? He's not asking them to deny the reality of the winds and waves. He's just asking them to acknowledge the greater reality of his presence. He's saying, am I not in the boat? Do I not have the power and the ability to save you? And they're probably thinking, yeah, that's why we woke you up. <laughs> He's not rebuking them for their natural response to what's going on around them. He's teaching them something here that is bigger than the natural. It's supernatural. And he's talking about his ability to provide. To provide peace in the middle of a storm. So it says in the next verse after he teaches them, it's like, hey, I'm not saying that that's not there. I'm just saying that I'm here and it's all good. 
Verse 26 says, Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Hmm. Completely calm, meaning he told the winds to stop, and when he did, so did the waves. Now think about it. When the winds stop, how do you guys know the waves continue? But when he said, be quiet, it dealt with the root of the issue and the consequences. It's so supernatural because the wind stopped. But when he said, be quiet, so did the waves. The place became, the, the, the lake became like glass, smooth. How do you try and fight a storm? If a tornado is coming your way, and we're familiar with that here in the Midwest, and what would you do? Go out there and go, I think I'm strong enough. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try it. You're like, but I'm going to brace myself, and I will put both of my arms out. Or you know what? I've been exercising, so I will push back. You're like, Scotty, that's foolish. I know, but, but I'm going to have five friends with me, strong friends, five of us. And we will, you're like, there's no chance. Like, how do you fight a storm? I'm going to take a baseball bat, and I'm going to beat it back. Good luck. You understand, don't you? There's no way we stop a severe storm. So what does Jesus do? Does Jesus dig in? Does Jesus brace himself and say, it's good, give me a little room. Hold on, here it comes. Does he work it up? Does he loosen up? Hold on, guys, give me just a minute. Here it comes. Here comes somebody, come on, somebody hold my tunic. Does he, does he get all ready? Does he? You know what he does to stop a life-threatening storm? Here's what he does. Here's how hard it is for him. Shh. And it stops. When he said, be quiet, everything did. Which reminds us not just to be aware of the power of the storm, but the power of our Savior. Let's talk about financial storms for a minute. You're probably like, do we have to? <laughs> Not all storms are created equally. I mean, there are all kinds of storms, right? There are health storms. Uh, there are relational storms. There are financial storms. Sometimes you go through one. Sometimes you go through two. Sometimes you go through like eight at the same time. Anybody ever had that happen? I just want, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever been or you're currently in a financial storm? Just wave at me. Yes, brother, I see the one waving two hands back there. I see you. I see you. I feel your pain. I'm with you. Yeah. Financial storms. Sometimes they're not anything that you caused or asked for or anticipated. Some of our financial storms that we encounter happen because of job loss. The economy crashes, layoffs at work, can't find work. Sometimes it's the automobile, the car quits running. Don't you love it when you take it to get it repaired and they say, 
it costs you more to fix it than it would buy a new one. Don't you just love hearing something like that? You're like, well, praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was hoping you'd say, thank you, thank you. And then you get home, and before you can even complain to your wife about the news on the car, she says, hey, the refrigerator quit working. You're like, well, praise the Lord. That's great. About financial storms that come from medical bills. Come on, don't get me shouting right now about medical bills. Don't even get me started. Those six kids, I just feel like we're on like this perpetual payment plan for the hospital. I feel like I don't even need to check the bill. It just every month, just, yeah, I just want to bless you. I just want to support you. Yeah, put this towards something that we owe you. And uh, yeah, here's another one. Here's another one. Send it on down. We should have like a wing named after us at our local hospital. It's crazy. So you don't expect that. You don't anticipate that. If you're going through storms that had nothing to do with something that you caused or you brought on yourself. See, sometimes we think, well, if I caused it, I can fix it. Kind of, sort of, not totally. But, but we can feel helpless when we go, I didn't do anything to get into this. How am I supposed to get out of it? Here's a word that you have to remember. Is that when you're going through storms, even when they're ones that you didn't choose or didn't do anything to bring it on yourself, as long as you're anchored to Christ, it's all good. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but you don't have to run for your life or scream for your life thinking that there's no way out. You can just know that if Jesus is in your boat, let me say it a different way. When you're in Jesus' boat, You don't have to worry about drowning. Come on, aren't you thankful that if God is with you and if you're with God, you don't have to worry. I want to focus this portion of our talk, though, what about the storms that you can prevent? Because meteorologists have all kinds of tools and all kinds of equipment to predict Storms. They've got radars, they've got satellites, they've got these different sensors, they've got weather balloons, and they track weather patterns, and they spend all of this time on all of these calculations. And yet, I don't know about you, but it's crazy to me when they can spend all of that time and all of that money and all of that research and say, there's a chance of rain today. I'm like, all right. 20% chance. Well, 20, ah, I'm going to put it at 28%. Like that makes a difference if I'm going to take an umbrella or not. 28%? Oh, it's just 20%. Okay, well, that's better. Or, and there have been times, I don't know about you, and there's probably a weatherman in here in the room. Listen, I love you, man. I'm not dogging on you. I'm not dog- You're probably right more than any other meteorologist in Oklahoma, all right? Just so you know, I'm not dogging you. But I've looked at my phone at times. I look and it say zero percent chance of rain. Have you ever done this before? Zero percent chance of rain. And look out the window and it's dogs and cats coming out. Have you ever done that before? You're like. <laughs> Current condition. Sunny. Not a cloud in the sky. And you think somebody's going to lose their job. Not if you're a weatherman. It's all good. It's all good. Hey, we got 18 inches of snow coming tomorrow. Kids are all excited, you know. And we don't get excited about fifth or sixth snow, but you know that first snow, that very first one on the scene. 18 inches so far. Folks, you want to be careful. Hit the stores, get bread, get milk, get everything. Oh, he's scurrying. 
looking out, nothing. Next morning, you look out and nothing. I, huh. Somebody's going to lose it. Not if you're a weatherman. It's all good. Folks, we didn't get what we expected, but moving right along, here's our seven-day forecast. There's a, there's a chance of rain tomorrow. It might or it might not rain tomorrow. So that's why I love God's Word, because when you go to God's Word, here's what I'm going to give you. Forecasting financial storms, and God's not even guessing. Are you ready for this? God's not even guessing. So I want you to write these three, three things down, because this is what God teaches us. If you do these three things, you can expect a storm. Or if you avoid these three things, you can avoid the self-inflicted storms that plague so many people today. I don't know about you, but I face enough storms without causing more of my own. Can you say amen to that? So here are some predictions, if you will, some forecasts. Storm is coming when, number one, you worship money rather than God. When you worship money rather than God, a storm is coming. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen, you cannot serve God and money. Nobody in this room would, would say, well, but I want to serve money rather than God. No one would say, I would rather worship money. Then God, nobody would say that. I'm not asking, though, would you say that? I'm asking, what would your life show that you would say? One person has said that you can really determine a lot in terms of a person's priority by checking out their bank statement or their checkbook. If there was an audit just of where you're laying your treasure and how you're spending your money, would it say that you're more committed to chasing the things of this world or Chasing the things of God. See, it's not bad to have money. It's not bad to have possessions. But it's the person who's possessed by their possessions to the degree to where the things of this world are more important to them than the things of God. A storm is coming. When you're more addicted to more stuff, more things than you are, walking a walk of faith that says, Lord, you've entrusted this to me. What do you want me to do with it? Because you're my everything. When you're not doing that, a storm is coming. Secondly, number two, a storm is coming when you mishandle the resources that God has entrusted to you. In other words, when we think that the money we have is our money and we do with it as we please. My little girl, Bria, when she was little, she got $5. I don't remember the story. I don't remember how it all came about. But she got a little bit of money and, and she said, Dad, I got $5. And I said, way to go, Bria girl. She said, I'm so excited. She said, I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to give it in the offering this Sunday and give it all to God. I said, Bria. I am so, you don't have to do that. He just, he asked us to give him a tithe, a 10% of that. You don't have to give it. I want to give it all to God. So, well, you go ahead, girl. I'm proud of you. Sweetheart, that's great. Wasn't long after that, I heard her talking about going to the store or going to get an ice cream or something. She said, I think I'm going to buy me some ice cream. <laughs> and I said, hey, hey, hey. Wait, I, I, thought, I thought you were going to give to God. Now remember, you don't have to give it all to God, but you at least have to tithe it at first, the first 10%. Remember, gives it to God. So 
why all of a sudden are you talking about you're going to go and, and, and buy all this different stuff with it instead of giving it to God? What happened? He said, Dad, I started thinking about it. If God didn't want me to have this money, he wouldn't have given it to me. <laughs> she had it figured out. And that's cute when you're four or five or six years old. But when you and I are still living like that, it's not cute. What it says is a storm is coming. When you think what you have is what you have to do with what you want to, you miss the point. Listen to Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything. Somebody say everything. And everything in it, the world and all. Somebody say all. All who live in it. What does it mean? All that we have, all that we are, it belongs to him. Then why did he give it to me? Because I'm a steward of it. You're a steward of it. He entrusts it to us because he has a plan for it. He allows us along for the ride. He, has a, he, he didn't create you so that you could work, so that you could make money, so you could give God a little kickback on the side. Think about it. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't even want your money. He wants your heart. Which is why it's hard for some people to catch this last one. But it's an indicator that a storm is coming. But number three, you rob God by withholding his tithe. Listen to Malachi chapter 3 verses 8, 9, and 10. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You say, well, what is a tithe? Tithing is when you take the first 10% of all that you earn and you give it back to God through the local church. Tithing is when you earn $10 and you are holding that $10 and you realize that God is the one who gave you the ability to earn it. He's the one who gave you the mind. He's the one who gave you the strength. He's the one who gave you the job. He's the one who enabled you to earn that $10. When you take right out of the gate, the very first 10%, you take a dollar and you give it back to God through the local church, you are saying, God, I recognize that all that I have is yours. You are my God. I recognize, Lord, that you've blessed me, you've helped me, that my heart might be turned towards you. So rather than taking the gift and running with it, before I take a single step, I acknowledge that all that I have is yours and that I love you more than money. It's a recognition, Lord, that my hope is not in my bank account. And somebody needs to say, thank you, Jesus. My hope is in you. 
So even if I lose my job, I know that the same God who provided this $10, I can trust that you will continue to provide because my boss is not my God. You are my God. You're my provider. So rather than just say that in church, I live that with my life by the first dollar for every 10 I get. It's worship back to the Lord through the local church. Some people go to church and then they try to be generous or do some good things and it maybe give to, you know, some nonprofit organization or they give towards some ministry, which is totally cool and biblical and honoring to God, but that's not a tithe. The tithe is the first 10% that you give to God through the local church and then Funds that you share or give and invest elsewhere are offerings. You support a missionary or you give to the dream builders. You give those other things. But the very first step is the tithe. And some people have asked at times before and they've said, Well, Scotty, why would I have to give it here to the church where I attend if I just want to give it to somewhere else? And here's an analogy that I give to them. I say, Well, you wouldn't go to one restaurant and enjoy the, the food and be blessed by it and get up to walk out and the, you take your ticket and you just keep walking past the cash register and they say, excuse me, sir, where are you going? You need to pay for Oh, I am. I am. I'm just going to go ahead and run across the street and give it to the people over there across the street. They just look like they could use it, so thank you very much. It's a great meal, though. See you later and walk out. They don't even try that this afternoon for your Sunday lunch because you get it that you support where you were blessed. So we start with a house where we come and eat every single week, where God blesses us, where God uses a leadership team and uses a ministry to fill up your cup. You start right there by honoring God, by giving to that house to say, I recognize, Lord, that all this blessing is from you, and I give it to you. And then above that, you give whatever God prompts your heart to do. There's some of you yet to start tithing. You're like, I, don't, I can't afford to do it. And God would say, you can't afford not to. You rob God. There's no way that goes well for you. He doesn't need any more. He doesn't need you either. He doesn't need me. He brought us because he loves us. He's blessed you because he wants to bless you. Listen, tithing is not a trap to catch you doing something wrong. It's a path towards his obedience for blessing's sake. He set it up to say, because as you continue to trust in me and you give that back, I will bless you more. And as you're blessed and you invest that 10% back, I will bless you more. You can never, you will never outgive God. Some of you have been tithing, but you've just stopped at that first step. But you know what? There's more fun to be had. He says, when you sow generously, you will reap generously. Well, not too long ago, we had some bills with medical bills that I told you we were facing and looking at and and we hadn't paid off like several of them and we knew in addition to the practical things in terms of being a good steward you don't spend more than you bring in you don't get caught up in the debt trap of credit cards and things that have just extravagant interests that get you behind some of you a practical step can be just contacting the church and saying can I be a part of a a small group or some type of Bible study to help me to manage my money well. Those are practical things. God wants us to do those things. 
And so we have been trying to do our part. We were in Jesus' boat, and yet just because of medical bills, it was like, man, this, this is looking very daunting. And in the middle of that, we found out that my wife, Casey, was going to have to have a pretty significant surgery, actually two surgeries. And I just thought, hmm, all I know is, Lord, we are in your boat. We are tithing trying to give but I don't know how this is going to happen in the middle of that we found out somebody was going to uh, be facing their own medical issue and the family was just was really up against it and they didn't know what they were going to do and we felt like God spoke to our heart that we should give them $500 towards their their upcoming medical uh, surgery and their bills and so we did that and it was such a cool thing because the they just blessed the family. They were overwhelmed. They saw the hand of God in it. And we were like, wow. But when God spoke to my heart to give $500 to them, when I knew what we were facing and about to come up against, I was like, well, that's kind of a funny request because I can't even pay for what we're about to do. But I've learned to trust God. And that God's faithful. We gave the family the $500. And it's so cool because just a few weeks ago, I had a friend call. He said, hey, my wife and I have been talking and we know that you guys have Casey's surgery coming up and we feel like the Lord wants us to give you $5,000 towards your expenses towards that. Can I just tell you that hallelujah revival broke out in my car? Whenever I heard that, I was like, oh God. Oh God, you're so amazing. And the reason I just closed with that story is to say, I don't know what financial storm you're going through. Today, the best thing you can do is make sure that your heart and your eyes are on Him, not chasing the stuff of this world, that you're using wisdom on what He's entrusted to you. Be smart about it. And make that first step with all that comes in so that the rest can be blessed. Tithe. If you haven't been tithing, maybe even today as you leave, stop by one of the secure boxes, the offering drop-off box, or jump online, peopleschurch.tv. Let that be what you do for your next step when you get home today. Set it up on recurring giving so that it just comes straight out of your income, straight into giving. Do that. Make it a priority. And for those of you that are, are already tithing, step out in faith and watch what God does when he takes your obedience, when he prompts your heart and speaks to you to give towards dream builders and other things. And watch how God blesses you. He loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants to bring you out of storms. He's given you a path. Follow his voice.